Welcome to the Stories from the Future podcast. Today we begin our mini-series featuring a story titled Code of the Blue Warrior. Ongoing chapters will be released one at a time over the next several weeks. The main character in this mini-series is named Alan Ishmael, in homage to Daniel Quinn's novel and Alan Watts, one of the most insightful philosophers of the 20th century. In one sense, Code of the Blue Warrior can be considered fan fiction of the novel Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, but it certainly has its own flavor. In this episode, we meet Alan Ishmael for the first time at the Esalon Institute in California, a real-life retreat center in Big Sur. In researching this episode, I learned that Alan Watts himself actually gave the very first lecture at Esalon in January 1962. Many other progressive and influential thinkers have taught and lectured at Esalon. Abraham Maslow, Aldous Huxley, Ansel Adams, Buckminster Fuller, Timothy Leary, B.F. Skinner, among many others. And then there are the famous hot springs on the campus of the Esalon Institute, which is where Code of the Blue Warrior begins. When he worked in the tech field, Quinn Delterra thought he was winning at the game of life. He thought he deserved respect and admiration for the work he did. He was convinced it was of the utmost importance. He was impatient and frustrated when things didn't work out. His midlife change of heart was about realizing he had it all backwards. So Quinn decided to leave his six-figure income behind. He found his unorthodox change of heart difficult to explain to his sister, Sharon. Quinn, Sharon said, you're my brother, and you know you can stay with us as long as you need to, but I don't understand. You were the lead developer working for one of the top cybernetics corporations in the world. I'm sure dozens of multinational corporations would have snatched you up. I can't believe you'd walk away. I'm looking for something else, he said. Something else? A different career? No, no, a different way of life. Sharon and her husband, Heath, lived in an affluent suburb outside San Diego. Their oversized home had far too many bedrooms and even more bathrooms than two people could ever need. A different way of life? Sharon asked. Like what? A goat herd in New Zealand? I considered that. Not the goat herd part, but New Zealand. Sharon scoffed and led Quinn to their home's walkout basement with its own covered deck that looked out onto a forest. Backyard didn't quite capture the scope of it. Sharon, have you ever caught Robin Hood's men poaching down there in Sherwood? Quinn teased his big sister. Don't push your luck, Friar Talk. You get your own private bedroom and bathroom, she said and they walked into the downstairs suite. It was bigger than some apartments he'd lived in. Sharon opened the door to the walk-in closet and turned on the light. Look, I want to show you something. Come here. They both stood inside the empty closet. See, she said, no skeletons. You're telling me not to bring up the past. As long as you're staying with us, it never happened. Some things are best left buried, got it? Got it. Same Sharon. Run, run, run. Work, work, work. No trauma, no drama. 
Sharon continued the tour into the den. There's even a mini-fridge, she opened it. A Pinot Gris and a Pinot Grigio were chilling nonchalantly. The only thing you have to come upstairs for is the kitchen. Otherwise, you're completely self-sufficient down here. Quinn turned towards the oversized chase lounge and plopped himself down. <sighs> Luxury has its privileges, he thought. Just make yourself at home, little brother, Sharon said. Their high-salaried careers certainly created devotees to the cult of comfort and luxury. Lifestyles of the rich and spoiled, Quinn thought. Workaholism, an excellent strategy to keep the past from catching up. Quinn had gone in the other direction, to get away from the past. His work in artificial intelligence had been about creating a world where people could enjoy the simplicity, the simple pleasures of life, and didn't need to work themselves to death. It was only later he realized how misguided that was, too. The simple pleasures in life actually would mean the responsible use of less technology, not more of it. When all of our work is done for us by AIs, that's a recipe for being more spoiled, not less. Now, staying in California with Sharon, Quinn was enrolled in courses almost full-time at the Esalon Institute in Big Sur the birthplace of the human potential movement. The center hosted workshops on relationship skills, transpersonal psychology, permaculture, social change, and Eastern philosophy, among other transformational seminars. All essential aspects of the human experience that he'd been ignoring during his two decades-long infatuation with designing a technological utopia. The Esalon Institute represented something he'd always longed for, but couldn't find. It was almost an alternate reality to a high-tech society. One evening, after a weekend retreat at Esalon, Quinn found himself relaxing in the clothing optional hot springs on its grounds. Nude hot springs. How very far he'd come from button-up shirts, blue blazers, and polished leather shoes, sitting behind sterile white walls. A gregarious, clothing-free fellow bather was eager to strike up a conversation that night. The older gentleman sported a lush salt-and-pepper pointy goatee that he couldn't keep out of the water. He leaned his back and draped his arms like chicken wings on the natural rock ledge. Ah. I only visit the real world occasionally. Hot springs are all I come back for, he vocalized by way of introduction. As far as the rest, I'm stymied and perplexed. Oh? Quinn asked, just to be polite, having no idea he was about to begin a conversation that would change his life. Take him to a remote village without electricity and lay the foundation for his life's work. How so? I warn you, my ideas might seem a little abrasive to an orthodox mind, the stranger said. Thanks for the warning. It's still like to hear what you have to say. Okay, well, we'll start out in the shallow end of the pool. The world has simply become overwhelming, the man said in a deep voice. Brighter, louder, faster every year. I think it's overstimulating our brain stems. I think people are short-circuiting. But they're so used to it, they don't notice. But deep down, we're shorting out! Well, I'd have to agree with that, Quinn said. 
and people are less and less personable, more and more within themselves. And that's true. I'm Alan Ishmael, Prince Okiko Kohona, he said. I'm Quinn. You're a prince? Remember when they said you can be whatever you want when you grow up? I guess so, Quinn said. I always wanted to be a prince, so that's what I am. I don't quite understand, but I can respect that. What do you do for a living, Quinn? I used to program sex robots. The man's eyes almost bugged out of their sockets. Now that's a first. There are sex robots in the world now? I'm sorry to say that there are. I did a lot of work on programming their personalities. They have personalities? And to be perfectly honest, the protocols I wrote make them more charming than some people I've met. Now that I don't doubt, the man said. They exploited my work, Quinn confessed. I didn't know the personality protocols I was developing would ultimately be used for that. But you said you used to. Are you glad you don't anymore? Glad doesn't begin to describe it, Quinn said. By far, the best thing that had happened for Quinn in the years since leaving his career in AI was meeting Quincy at a digital detox retreat. The irony wasn't lost on him. Quincy was an alluring, dignified soul who worked for NASA, and after a career-driven life, she was a breath of fresh air for Quinn. But what about you? Where are you from? Quinn asked Alan Ishmael. Thanks for asking. I've lived the last century of my life in a remote community on Hawaii, he said. Can I tell you my theory? He didn't wait for an answer. We are all stuck in the shadows of life. The shadows of life? I think you might have the title of a book there, but what do you mean? Think of it this way, Alan Ishmael said. The world we have created masks a deeper reality. We don't live in harmony with the natural world because the artificial world we created blocks it out, just like light pollution blocking the stars. We can't remember the real joie de vie of really being alive. We're stuck in the shadows, and we call it the first world. The modern world is an illusion, masking a cycle of addiction to selfish behavior, to materialism, even to technology, Keep in mind the lens I'm seeing this from. I live on Hawaii's forbidden island. No outsiders. So not much of the modern world gets in. I just peek my head out every so often. I am the ostrich. Cuckoo, could you? He dipped his head underwater. And then he fell silent, soaking in the warm water and steam of the hot springs. Quinn smirked at the slightly askew cultural reference. Like everything about Alan Ishmael, it was amicably quirky. Quinn was impressed by the depth of the man's considered approach, but what drew him in most was Alan's matter-of-fact, tender tone of voice. Quinn had met many angry people in the counterculture, fuming with hatred for the hypocrisy of the status quo. He'd also met some highly intelligent people who lorded it over others. But this man was calm, cool, gentle. He gave the impression of being at peace with the way things were, even though he knew there was a better way. 
We're emotionally cut off, numb, desensitized, but too few people are ready to hear that. Deaf ears. Yet here we are, Quinn said, discussing it in the hot springs. Maybe more and more people are ready to hear it. Maybe, Alan said. I like your optimism. But it would take a miracle, a real black swan, to evolve humanity. Something totally unforeseeable. Something that changes everything. Like what? No one knows. That's the nature of black swans. Modern civilization, he continued without a pause, is a colossal Rube Goldberg device. There are so many moving parts that it's absurd how many wheels must be in motion just to accomplish a simple task like eating strawberries. I think you have a point there. I think the analogy of a Rube Goldberg machine makes sense. Thanks. You know, you're welcome to visit my community if you want to experience a different way of life. We work together. We eat together. We do everything together. And outsiders aren't allowed on the Yahoo. Why invite me? I mean, we just met. You seem like you're looking for a compass that the real world doesn't provide. Not everyone has the courage to do that. I respect that. Besides, I believe the threads of the universe weave the tapestry of life together. We meet who we're meant to meet. I believe there's an intelligence to the universe. Although the hypothesis of a scientific empiricism rules out such a notion. Here's an important point, Alan Ishmael said. If there's just one thing you remember out of everything I've said, let it be this. Many of the benefits that built the modern world are cognitive illusions. Cognitive illusions? You know about optical illusions, right? Sure. A cognitive illusion is the same. It starts when we begin to believe something. Now here's the finer point. Whether that thing is true or not, if enough people believe it, then the belief influences their actions, and a new worldview solidifies around it, regardless of the truth of the original belief. Take any belief as an example. From the story in the Bible where the God of the Old Testament tells Abraham to circumcise Ishmael, or the scientific dogma that rejects spirituality wholesale. Both are beliefs, and both are equally responsible for the way we act and behave to this day, regardless of their legitimacy. But I warned you my ideas might seem strange to an orthodox mind. You didn't hear it from me, but I personally think there might be a link between a culture of scientific atheism and an amoral society. There might also be a link between taking a little off the top of the male genitalia and toxic masculinity. Talk about repressing trauma. Anyway, chew on that. It was nice talking to you, brother, Alan Ishmael said. Hold on. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all that, but all I can come up with is to ask, is that why you're named Ishmael? Goodness, no! I'm not cut, he said, and stood up out of the water. Come visit me in Kiko Kihono sometimes. We can play chess. What does chess have to do with it? If you ever visit, I'll show you. Alan Ishmael extended his arm for a handshake. Quinn wasn't used to shaking the hand of a fellow human whose dangling bits were on display for all to see. How far he'd come.